The Atlanta Athletic Club, a history, written by Charles Eliot in 1973. Chapter 9. The history of the Atlanta Athletic Club could be summed up in eight words. AAC was always in a period of expansion. Most of its bold new steps were made by wiping out a part of the past and had to do with the creation of buildings, golf courses, and other facilities to accommodate an increasing membership with more adequate space and service. Change of location naturally meant the disposal of old properties, and since a certain percentage of people are inclined towards stability rather than change, progress was always a painful readjustment. Perhaps the development which got less unfavorable reaction by individual members was the establishment of Lake Lanier Yacht Club on the largest and most popular impoundment north of Atlanta and within comfortable range of most of the members. According to reports, the creation of the Yacht Club was in the nature of a compromise. At that time, a whispered campaign was underway to establish a third golf course somewhere north of Atlanta within easier access than the two East Lake courses to the many members who lived on the north side. A series of committees were appointed to look over and evaluate certain properties available for the new course. Appraisal after appraisal was turned down by the board of directors because a tract was not expansive enough, or was too rough, or too isolated, or too high-priced. At that time, Hugh Dorsey Jr. was president of the club. Both golf courses at Eastlake were in excellent condition. The country club facility was concentrated around the clubhouse for a compact and manageable unit, and the majority of ranking members who ran AAC thought that two widely separated golf courses would spread the operation too thin and cost more money than the club could afford. The yacht club idea was in part to satisfy the demand for a north side installation. One of its ardent supporters was Robert T. Jones, Jr., a law partner of Dorsey. Since the creeping paralysis of his illness had curtailed his activities on the golf course, Bob had become as ardent a fisherman as he had been a golfer. His encouragement for the establishment of the yacht club was one of the big factors in helping put it across. Lake Lanier is a Corps of Engineers impoundment. The dam was built in the early to middle 1950s. Water behind the Buford Dam backed up two main rivers the Chattahoochee beyond Gainesville, and the Chestatee south of Dahlonega. But even before the lake was impounded, property along the shoreline and above the flood mark owned by the Corps of Engineers was bought up by individuals, companies, and clubs for development. Before the lake began to fill, AAC's board of directors had cast a speculative eye toward the establishment of a marine facility along some selection of its shoreline. Ira H. Harden, who served on the board from 1953 for four years before he took the president's chair, spent a lot of time scouting out the Lanier properties to find land most suited to the club's plans. Requirements for the tract included accessibility, scenic values, deep water, and terrain adaptable to the type of installation which was to include all accommodations of an outstanding yacht club. The most promising was a deep wooded cove on the mainland, near the mouth of Flowery Branch, and another, a long sloping hillside which had most recently been farmland, and lay on the Big Creek side of the peninsula extending into the lake between the two creeks. The property sites were approved, and the responsibility of purchase put into the hands of T.R. Dick Garlington, who was in the real estate business and had been a longtime official of the AAC, including two terms as president. 
When all of the property along this stretch of lake was put on the auction block, Garlington, acting as an agent for AAC, bid on these two pieces of property from the estate of A.H. Holland. One of the most important first decisions relative to both the construction and management of the new yacht club was the employment of a man who could adequately fill both jobs. As always, before going outside, AAC looked to the personnel of its own organization to determine if such a man were available. The club manager found what he considered the perfect person for this complex job in William H. Walters, who had proven himself over more than a decade with AAC. He had all the qualifications. To begin with, he was reared in Tekoa, in the same type of mountainous region found around Lanier, and he knew the language and thinking of the North Georgia laborers, with whom he would have to work at both the construction and management jobs. Much of his background and training had been along mechanical lines. After serving through World War II, Walters worked as a refrigeration engineer for a large Atlanta dairy. He came to the downtown club of AAC in 1947 in the maintenance department. He proved a wizard with tools, so when Eastlake went air-conditioned in 1952, he was transferred from the city to the country club. Within a year, all equipment in the buildings and on the grounds, plus the truck drivers and janitors, had been placed under his supervision. With his background, experience, and the record he had made at both the city club and Eastlake, Walters was the logical choice to take over the new establishment on Lake Lanier and handle it through its construction stages. With this behind him, he could then assume the management of the new club. Three major developments held priority. A paved launching ramp, grading for which was done when the parking space was laid out, was already in demand. The lake had not yet been filled, and its level so low that Walters was able to extend this ramp far enough from shore to allow launching under low water conditions. The concrete had scarcely hardened before AA Sears with boats and trailers were flocking to the ramp to launch craft for fishing and exploring the far reaches of the new lake. Before the first docks were even completed, the list of boaters applying for berths was longer than the original list of applicants. Lanier Yacht Club was popular even before it got into operation. Each dock was filled as it was built, and one spot on the hill had to be set aside for dry storage of boats and trailers. The wooded hillside simply filled up with picnickers in the late afternoons and especially on weekends. The influx of member families, bringing everything from sandwiches to uncooked steaks, was so disorganized that crews were pulled off other priority jobs and assigned the task of setting up heavy tables, cooking units, garbage cans, and restrooms for the steady flow of club picnickers. Before we were able to bring water into this area and construct septic tanks and drainage, Walters reported, we had to build temporary old-fashioned outhouses. Some of the members, and especially the city kids, had never seen such. And you can imagine just how much conversation this bit of rural Americana caused. The demand for food service at the Yacht Club prompted the committee to consider a temporary rough snack bar in the apex of the parking lot, but the manager begged out of such an arrangement. There's nothing so permanent as a temporary building, he pointed out. After a few months, they were able to go ahead with the permanent snack bar as proposed in the master plan. It was built on the knoll overlooking the entire use area of the marina, with an elevated view of the lake and its background of mountains. Because of the demand for sandwiches, hamburgers, and other foods prepared there, 
The snack bar was opened shortly after the kitchen equipment and restrooms were completed. Although the building itself was far from its final stages of construction and little more than a shelter, this created unanticipated problems. The wild creatures on that hillside above the lake never had it so good. They moved into the man-made shelter. One of the club manager's first jobs at daylight each day, before the early fishermen began to arrive, was to shoo the snakes off his new concrete floor and then check for such animals as possums and skunks that had moved in during the night. Until the entire building was screened, there was a constant plague of yellow jackets and wasps, and this infestation continued outside after the screens were put up. At the formal opening of the grill in July 1958, the crowd was so large that a number of members put on aprons, helped to cook, and served as waiters. The stock of food and drink, which had been considered more than adequate, ran out to the last cracker. But the spirit of that day, with its flow of fellowship, gave an indication of the huge success AAC's Lanier Yacht Club was to enjoy. The first gala occasion with ingenious costumes for which prizes were given, and with appropriate music and food, set the stage for many such affairs at the Yacht Club. Both spring and fall parties were costume occasions, and highlights of the social season at the club. In addition, the club promoted a series of serious activities, foremost of which was a U.S. Coast Guard course in seamanship, which included large and small craft handling and education in rules of the road set up for safety and courtesy afloat. Special attention was given to such activities as fishing, skiing, sailing, houseboating, and even camping on some of the isolated sections of the lake. Emphasis was on pollution and cleanliness of lake waters, with promotions to have our members bring back to dockside trash containers and all garbage and rubbish instead of leaving it on the beach or throwing it into the lake. Yacht Club members were campaigning against pollution even before the State Water Quality Control Board came out with its distressing 1964 report showing the extent of pollution in Lake Lanier and passed rules towards the abatement of this condition, among them the use of sanitary toilets on all boats using the lake. To show that AAC had set an example in reliable boat handling, courtesy on the water and cleanliness, the Yacht Club designed its own club pennant to identify boats of our members using the lake. Space was limited on the wooded hillside where the clubhouse, picnic area, and other installations were built, and along the lakefront where restricted shoreline was a factor in the amount of dock space that could be provided for the members. This dock space had continued to spread as more boats, from fishing craft to luxurious houseboats, were added to the fleet. AAC owned only one hillside. The land across the narrow cove belonged to the Corps of Engineers and was a continuous threat in that it might be leased and developed for recreation, which would add to the already crowded conditions in the cove. After many conferences with the Corps of Engineers, it was finally agreed that with the impending recreational development a mile away at the end of the peninsula, the government would preserve the far side of the cove in its natural state if AAC would acquire the property around the head of the cove to forestall any development there. Contact was made with the owners who showed no inclination to sell the property. A number of club members who knew the owners got into the act, and after long negotiations, the owners were prevailed upon to trade the land at the head of the Yacht Club Cove for a second parcel of property owned by the club on Big Creek. That property was too far removed from the main development to be of immediate value to club members. Later, 
another 4.9 acres was purchased from George Pierce to make a total of 50 acres in AAC's Lake Lanier Yacht Club. Walters, the yacht club manager, has perhaps the most diverse and demanding job of an AAC official. In addition to his regular duties of policing the place, keeping it clean, the lawns trimmed, keeping up the food and other inventories, the eternal maintenance and repair of equipment, letting out and pulling in cables as the lake waters rise and fall, dispensing gasoline, preparing for special parties and other occasions and making his reports, this particular manager goes out of his way in giving special attention to his members. They depend on him to round up mechanical assistance when boat motors are on the blink or when a boat needs repair. He knows the habits of his members, most of which are personal friends. And if a boater is not off the lake when he's supposed to be, he goes looking for that boat. He spent one entire night looking for a man with a pregnant wife who failed to tell him that they were going to boat up the lake to spend the night with friends who owned a home on Lanier. As typical of the growth of this branch of AAC, the original yacht club members numbered only a few, and the first dock rented contained eight open spaces for boats. As of this writing, Lanier membership is 275, and dock space will accommodate 180 boats with a large percentage of the docks covered. This is one of the most intimate social phases of the Atlanta Athletic Club, where golfing members generally have their own foursomes, plus perhaps a goodly number of locker room acquaintances, where they often make up other foursomes, a golfer's game contacts are necessarily limited. Not so with the yacht clubbers, who pay boat visits with their neighbors, often cruise together, meet for special parties, and generally operate as a compact unit which many believe is the most popular in AAC.